Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We work hard as physicians to take care of the health and well-being of our patients. But when it comes to our money, do we have the same condition of care? Probably, probably not. Let's change that together. Welcome to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast, where we'll fight and advocate for your financial literacy. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Thanks for being here. Let's jump into the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's show, the Physicians for Financial Freedom podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Siri Sean coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona. I'll bring up her bio. So Dr. Siri Sean is a triple board certified medical doctor in internal medicine, integrative medicine, hospice and palliative medicine. She grew up in the East Coast, got trained there. She went to Mayo Clinic for internal medicine residency. She's also an INFP manifesting generator. So today you're going to actually hear a lot of interesting concepts, Ayurvedic principles, diet, nutrition, autoimmunity, wholeness, wellness. So without ado, Dr. Sirishan, welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here to share more about things that I'm really excited about. Absolutely. And the purpose of my podcast is actually to promote three types of freedom. So one is financial freedom. It's also time freedom, location freedom, as well as wellness. So we all know the current allopathic standard of care, but there are also a lot of emerging types of wellness and holistic therapy. And so that's why I wanted to bring the audience and have you them reach you because we, you bring a whole host of information. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, how you came to be and how you transitioned. Absolutely. So I always like to say that I had kind of a curious mind when I was young. I actually went to a very prestigious math and science high school in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. and became very firmly entrenched in the scientific paradigms. And when I went to do my pre-med studies, which of course, everyone from this high school went on to be a stellar academician of some kind, it was unique that way. While I was at college, I started noticing that like, when I would have very high levels of stress, I would physiologically stop feeling good. I would have insomnia, I would have digestive issues, I would feel low energy, I grew up in a very standard American household and high school. We're not talking about healing modalities by any measure. And when you go from high school, what are you, 18 years old? You make the transition to college. You're 18, 19 years old. You think you know a lot. Like if I went back and talked to 18 year old me, I'm like, yeah, I know everything. <laughs> you just, but you learn as life goes forward. And I think one of the first things I began to understand is that the box that pre-med and allopathic medicine sat around the human condition was needing to expand and needed to be bigger than anything I was going to personally learn about. And that just came about through a series of kind of health crisis and 
seeking out healing and never really getting satisfactory things through the conventional system. And so I just started expanding my circle. I was always a bit of a maverick, you could say, like, well, that's cool. You think that, but I think there's these other ways. And so my undergraduate was at the University of Virginia, which actually has this pocket of very progressive healers. I don't know. It's about the Shenandoahs, maybe the mountainous regions. I'm not sure, but I started learning about initially botanical medicine and Tai Chi and Qigong. That was my first sort of introduction. And I was very athletic. I was a competitive soccer player. So learning the Kung Fu and the martial arts was a really great way to keep my body, mind, and spirit attuned. Later, I went on to study yoga. One day I was in a local bookstore and I happened to grab a book and it said Ayurveda for self-healing. And I was like, how do you pronounce that? What is this? And (laughs) What the heck? And I was probably 19 years old and I'm now 49. So we're talking about something almost 30 years ago. It was interesting because I actually quit pre-med in college for a good period of time and said, I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to learn about food. I think food is our, one of our primary routes of healing. And then I took a step back and said, that's going to be a lot of work too. Let me see. I have this desire to know about healing and to serve people. And so I circled back into medicine a number of years later, but in that interim, I did a lot of study in botanical medicine and Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, aromatherapy, mind-body techniques. And so when I went into residency in medical school, starting in 1998, I already had an incredibly solid foundation of these integrative therapeutics. When I finished residency, I moved to the Southwest started providing instruction at one of the primary integrative medicine fellowships. You could say I was a little precocious in a way. Normally they have more seasoned clinicians, but because I'd been studying for so long. And then I took a little break or a long break in 2011, 2014, where I studied Ayurveda in depth in India and in Albuquerque. And so that's kind of a short summary. It's been quite a journey. I always like to kid, I'm in the 46th grade now. (laughs) I'm an (laughs) eternal student. Wow. That's such an incredible journey and things that you pointed out. It's just really interesting because I think we have all these sectors and they're almost like predetermined paths. So, you know, you have school and school is supposed to prepare you for either medicine or some sort of trade or job. You have the food industry that controls the sourcing the distribution, the production. And based on my readings and studies, salt, fat, and sugar, and they put this food into you to sort of make you addicted. And it's causing a whole host of autoimmune problems, obesity, cardiovascular disease. So what was your breaking point? How did you go from this traditional allopathic into this more of a more holistic and very um, integrative approach? Yeah, kind of where I'm at now. When I returned back from my studies in Ayurveda, I went to work for a large multinational company that wanted to bring in some integrative. Really, they wanted me to do primary care, but there was an interest in the large company to do integrative medicine. And I was really excited. And then I realized for the hundredth time that until someone could figure out how to pay actually for true prevention, which takes time, nobody really was interested in what I had to say. Someone would much prefer that I write a script, then sit down and teach someone about how to manage their stress, how to sleep better, because it takes time. And so I just had a moment one day, I was sitting at my desk and there was a series of things that happened. You know, I had very busy clinical practice. And I just said, hard stop. 
I cannot do this another second. I'd always had a certain altruism within me where I didn't want to be a cash pay practice. I didn't want to be a very high ticket kind of consult model that was prohibitive to many people. So for 15 years, I really wanted to try to stay in a model that took insurance. And I finally just had a moment where I said, it's going to break me. And what good does that do, really? To just keep slogging away where I'm losing my health, I'm losing my sanity because I have a certain internal ethic of how I want to practice. And nobody wants to pay me to do that. Now, patients loved that. I would go the extra distance. I would send them things through email. I'd connect them to resources that promoted their health and healing in addition to treating their disease. And so when I left and my patients were all very discouraged by that, and they all asked, when are you coming back? And I finally, after about a year and a half, I said, I don't think I want to come back. Yes, I was very good at it. Very good at it. Exceptional. But my own health, my own well-being. There's a quote by Einstein and it said something to the effect of, insanity is looking at the same problem, expecting it to change when you're doing it the same way every time. And I finally just realized, I'm going to go insane expecting this system to change when here I am 20 years plus into it, starting with medical school. And really the system is not malleable enough to expand and hold the principles that I believe. And so it was a hard stop. It was just yeah. one day. I just said, <laughs> just, I gave them 30 days notice and they were like, okay, whoa, how can you do that? And I just said, very easy. Here's my notice. I really never looked back. Although in all honesty, and I know for your listeners, for me, there was a period of grieving because I had invested so much in my identity as a physician and in the salary. And just there's a whole persona that goes with that, that I needed to grieve and say goodbye to. Because if I just tried to bypass the fact that it was going to be a loss, I came to the decision quickly. But the grieving process, if you will, which isn't always all sad, it's more just a natural sort of processing and letting go. It took me about 18 months to come through to where I had some creativity and ingenuity and what am I going to do next? Yeah, that's very powerful because our system is so entrenched. You have the insurance companies and it's really protected by Washington and protected by Wall Street and the high-powered lobbyists. So there's this increasing divide between the provider, healers, the caregivers who are empaths and the corporate bureaucratic side. And there's an increasing divide where competing interests and of course, the people that are going to survive are the people that own and operate the system. As we saw last year, a lot of physicians were expendable. So I think people are gradually waking up to the fact that this system is not what it used to be. And being a physician in the past is not going to guarantee me anything anymore. And I'm glad we know we're bringing guests such as you onto the show. It's funny. I always joke when I'm like, the water's nice over here, folks. You know, <laughs> it's not so bad. You know, I mean, I'll start with this. I think the elephant in the room is that if you did not have a sustainable financial picture, you will make a big adjustment in your lifestyle. So whether you saved or you spent. So if somebody here is listening, definitely tune into all the great resources Chris is providing around sustaining your wealth and investing. I could have been much better about that. So if you don't have that financial piece where you're in effect retiring, you do have to find some new sustainable way to make a living. And it turns out that there's actually a lot of ways that you can leverage your degree and your training and your expertise to earn a living. And I think that was really, again, like you said, we have these lanes we think we're supposed to stay in. 
and I'm gonna dive into something quite serious here for a moment, but I just was in Clubhouse last night in a room where they were talking about physician suicide this week in the emergency department. It's just recognizing that sometimes people feel such a sense of weight and failure that there wouldn't be anything else they could do outside of this. I'm just here to say that it's okay. There are other things to do if medicine's making you, of course, there could be some underlying concerns, depression, anxiety that are independent of the career that'll follow you wherever you go. But I sometimes have conversations with physicians and they say, well, I can't imagine letting it go. And I always say, it's once you do it, you'll see it's a little bit easier than you thought. And I don't know how else to say it. And I want to say it very kindly because there's a part of our minds that's just so much like I need to stay in this lane. And this is where I was told I'm supposed to stay, even though I'm powerless to things that are really affecting me. And so I always like to just point that out that there are lots of people that are there to support you if you're having that eureka moment of, I don't think this is where I want to be, whether it's from sustainability or personal efficacy or just life interests. You'd rather travel and you don't want to do locums or you'd rather be location independent. There's so many different ways to live life. And as physicians, we really, I think because of our early educational experience of achieve external carrot, achieve external carrot, we really just have this identity of this is fully who I am. So once I made the transition, sort of long tangent there, but once I made that transition, I really began to de-escalate the stressors in my life. So the first thing I did was just simplify because I didn't have a huge nest egg to speak of. I downsized my house, which I know is not pragmatic for everyone, but that's what had to happen for me. And so now I live in reasonable living conditions. I own my home and it gives me a lot of freedom to structure my day as I see fit. So I wake up in the morning, have a meditation, mindfulness practice. I do some writing. Sometimes I'm creating. So I have a lot of artists in me. I'm working on <laughs> photographs or showcasing principles that I've learned along the way through photography and through visual art. And yeah. then I work with clients and create online instruction around integrative lifestyle and Ayurvedic medicine. So I work on the writing, the evidence, the research. I just like doing all the design pieces. So that takes up time. And so the day goes pretty quickly. Then it's sort of rinse and repeat. I will say it's a seven day a week gig, which I guess being a physician, you got acclimated to that. You're always working and you're looking at your social media, looking at what's happening to your online content. And even if that's not for you, there are options like speaking, there's options like being an expert contributor to companies. You can be a consultant. I'm sure you have many guests on talking about different pathways they've chosen as well. So I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but that's how I've designed it. And I'm actually the happiest I've been in a long time, for sure. That's awesome. Now you have a lot of time freedom and a lot of choice in how you spend your life. So you're not really bogged down by you have to do these and you have to get these deadlines done. So physicians would be envious of you because you basically get to control your life now. Yeah, it's so, so powerful. And yeah. honestly, and I think you would probably agree, some of that comes from living simpler. I have a 2010 Subaru Impreza. Nothing wrong if that's your route and you're earning a lot of money and it's your way. But because I didn't have a lot of that money in the bank saved, it didn't make any sense to try to have desire things that I thought would be indicative of success. That's what gave me the freedom, to be honest. 
You know, yeah. I don't shop for fancy jewelry. I keep it simple. And by keeping yeah. it simple, I have that freedom. And sometimes there's that internal tension of, oh, this thing would be nice. And then you figure out your financial objectives to get there. But yes, oh my gosh, because I was so thorough, I was charting at home three, four hours a day. I mean, you're oh. talking six, seven hours patient care, three to four hours of charting. That's 12, 14 hours of medicine. And then on the weekends, you're catching up on emails. And it was really unsustainable. I experienced the same thing. You know, when I was working 120 hour work weeks and functioning on one hour of sleep for an entire month. So, you know, when I took that time and I had also the hard stop, I spent 30 days of just pure rest, 10 hour of sleep. And that's how long it took to recover that sleep deficit. Yeah. And it's somehow it's like a badge of courage if you can maintain that. (laughs) When in reality, it's like, yeah, (laughs) you ought to not normalize that. And it it is normalized. And I know that when I did residency, there weren't any work hour restrictions. So I would have 44 (laughs) hour work. I'd go in at six, four, between 4.30 and six, leave the following day at six, seven and nine. Yeah. I I almost died coming home one day. You know, they talk about Uh having the, what is it? 0.8, almost like you're blood alcohol levels 0.8 when you drive home sleep deprivation. I was at the Mayo Clinic in Florida and the hospital was 20 minutes from my home. It's a true story. So I was driving home one day and the Mayo Clinic pagers are funny. They page you to a number and you have to call that number quickly because it's a phone calling you, not a pager. It's a weird system. Anyway, it's how they set it up. But anyway, so the pager would go off and you'd need to look quickly because otherwise you couldn't reach the person. Mm-hmm. But I was on my way home super long shift. And I dozed off at the wheel and the pager went off like miraculously. To this day, I think it might've been a guardian angel because no one was there. Ultimately I pulled over and there was no link to a phone number, but I had fallen asleep, was going off into the divider. So I was going to probably launch myself into oncoming traffic. Even that, that should have been a sign like, Hey, you laugh it off is what you do. You laugh it off. You're like, ah, I almost died coming home today. It's oh, just yeah. so distorted. This badge of courage. Like, Couldn't guess you... what happened, guys? Like, excuse me. Yeah. That's what we did, though. We just normalized <laughs> it. I think you've given a lot of resources. If someone were interested in getting started in these practices, I'll put the links to your website and your resources. I know you've written a book and you have a course and coaching program. So I'll put those in the show. I'd love to share some other resources too. So if people are interested in learning about integrative medicine, there's the American Academy of Integrative Medicine and AIHM. And that's a great place to start. The Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine has a website. They also have a practitioner database in case someone's looking for someone who's been trained in these modalities. Uh The Institute for Lifestyle Medicine has a practitioner database and a lot of great education. And Ayurveda, I'd say reach out to me directly because it's very individualized. And there's probably four or five different smaller schools that you can go and study, a little bit like traditional Chinese medicine. And I elected to take time off to study for three years, which I know is not practical for nearly every other physician for just so many reasons, but there are some distance programs. And so if somebody's really interested, I definitely encourage them to reach out to me. And Ayurveda in essence is a whole person healing system that looks at all aspects of our life from sleep to food, to movement, to interpersonal interactions, yoga, mindfulness, mantra, you name it, (laughs) all packed in there. It's considered to be almost 5,000 years old and was the original healing system of India. And so it's very vast, very comprehensive. 
Wow. And I know your husband is also a healer. So reach out to Dr. Shiri Shan. What's one last parting word you have for our listeners? Yeah, I would say the most important thing is that listen to the inner whisper, listen to the internal intuition that's guiding you. Ultimately, medicine may try to override that. The intellectual process may try to override that, but there's an internal whisper that'll wake you up and lead you into the right directions, whether it's staying in medicine or leaving medicine and and the steps after that and cultivating the listening for that. It can be so profound. Intuition is so key. Your sixth sense. I was reading there's neurons from your brain to your gut. And that's why your gut intuition, even though you can't explain it, you just have that feeling. And most of the people that I've talked to, you know, have said intuition. That's your number one asset. Oh, how interesting. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's profound. You're really bringing that out in people, I think. Yeah. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on the show and we'll stay tuned for more episodes and we'll put all the links that Dr. Shiri Shan put. We'll put those in the show notes. So until then, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks again for being here. If you're new, you can find me online at facebook.com forward slash Dr. Chris Liu, MD, PhD, where I have links to other episodes or links to online resources that will support you on your financial literacy journey. I'll see you there and on next week's show. While I bring you thoroughly vetted information on this show regarding a variety of financial topics, I cannot promise you a one-size-fits-all solution. This is why I caution you to continue to learn, educate yourself, and seek professional advice unique to your situation. If you want to talk to me, I'd welcome it. Please reach out via email at ChristopherLewMDPhD at gmail.com. That's Christopher Liu, MD, PhD at gmail.com. I read and personally respond to all of my emails. Talk soon.